0: Welcome to the Land of Legacy Podcast. This is your host, Adam Keith. And Matt Dye. And we have a special guest with us today, Mr. Zachary Skirmer. Hey. <laughs> Zachary Shermer. Shirmer. That's how I know you, because every time Matt calls you from his truck, it, his, it goes, his... Calling
1: Zachary Skirmer.
2: <laughs> Another so. one, Siri says, Zach, Zach,
0: Zach, Zach. So we have our guest, Zach Shermer here who has actually been with us a lot here lately, uh, last spring. And and soon to be even more. Yeah. He's going to be one of our main field producers for the Landon Legacy video series, but he's also here today um, to kind of tell his story, talk with us about kind of the process and the whole transition. Basically, Matt and I have covered it, but we have somebody else on here to talk about his transition from just an overall hunter to land manager conservationist and, that's and the all
1: backstory too of how he even got filming like that that story i think is really cool and helped probably you know progress him as a hunter land manager you know basically being able to capture it all capture those those changes and those transitions i would say has influenced but we're gonna get the story from old zach Shermer, shortly Um, here right
0: here on the land of legacy podcast on sportsman's nation podcast network this week's podcast brought to you by rtp outdoors makers of the genesis no-till drill the goliath cripper and the groundbreaker food plot planting machine you ready to get started let's
1: get started this thing
0: you're coming over here to this mic
1: you you guys better get cozy over there this (laughs) could be fun to watch
0: we didn't really just a little backstory we were planning on kind of doing a podcast we're like what topics what topics should we even cover and and zach was here and we're like hey well, why don't you get jump in on this thing with us so he's kind of fed to the wolves and we weren't really prepared he's sitting in the middle of matt and i and we're gonna a lucky get lucky guy real close landing
1: legacy sandwich oh, going I'm on right like, now I'm <laughs> yeah um but we've got some cool things that we're we're working with um some new things we're not gonna give it all away um but some additional features to the podcast, that I think everyone's going to really, really enjoy. Um, so that will that'll be coming out um, here recently, but oh, well, soon. But the the films that we've been talking about, those are we're talking weeks away, if that, from being released, and we have. You know, between Adam and I, our goals with these films, what it is that we want to do. The podcast has been exceptional for us, and we've been extremely blessed to have people tuning in and asking questions, um, learning from the podcast, and really just, just a year's time. we I think this week is actually, we released our first podcast March 31st of seventeen. so we're yeah. coming up on really just a year of doing this podcast. Um, so the response has been great but we want to take it to the next level with with information that's getting out there and the video series is really the next step for us um, and so overall adam summarize some of the the goals that you would like to see the films accomplish for people
0: for me you know for, for all along i've always said that i hope that it's it's a inspiring series, whether that be through the podcast or even just social media posts, whatever it is, we inspire people to be better conservationists and more involved with the land, not just from the hunting aspect, but overall just trying to improve it and not not just think about the benefit of the one species that we chase, but the benefit to all the other species that are trying to make a living in that same on that same area in that same habitat. So that's been overall podcast. We want to motivate you to get out, improve the land. But on the video series, that's what I'm most excited about because it'll give people the chance to actually see the stuff that we're talking about. So some of the things we cover, probably a lot of them, um, are so downright detailed that it's really really hard to see exactly what we're talking about. So when we, for example, we'll say that when we're talking about timber stand improvement and hinge cutting and edge feathering, some of that stuff can be a little bit difficult to understand in a podcast just hearing it. But now we'll be able to show them that when we're talking hinge cutting, we're not talking about hinge cutting the whole area. We're yeah, talking about yeah. small little pockets and and one tree hinge cut and versus three other cuts. Yeah, right. so that'll be the one thing I'm really excited about. That give people a chance to really see exactly what we do and see the land and all the activities that we talk about so much.
1: Yeah, and and you know we could have gone different routes, I guess, in the way and the, the format that these films are produced in. Um, and, you know, we kind of had an idea, but really, and, and we we'll, I know Zach's going to get into it more. When he talks about, you know, the field producing and slate and glass being the overall producer of them. But it was kind of like, Hey, this is, this is what we kind of think we'd like to do. And then kind of said, all right, guys, you, this is your field. You guys know what to do. You know how to make it awesome. You know, kind of give us some reinforcement of, of a background of a format that you think we could achieve those goals the best and I think the setup and the way that they're going to be produced um, and shot is is awesome yeah. I, I, I'm really looking forward for for that kind of I, I don't want to say like fresh look but a different look of getting the information out there um, that's gonna be that's gonna be really cool so I'm, I'm excited for that and two the quality is just Unreal. It's mm-hmm.
0: a very cinematic approach to land management. Yeah. As far as a, a de- and informational. Yeah.
1: So it, it that that aspect of things like hopefully it's kinda sits you back in your seat and be like, Wow. That's not only information packed, but just gorgeous to look at. And uh, and, and I not think because that we know we're in frame or anything, but because it's not them that's gorgeous. Right? <laughs> no. Exactly. We know that. <laughs> Thanks, Zach.
2: You can leave now. I'll, I'll kinda add in here. Um <clears throat> Adam kind of hit on this, but um, I think the overall goal, is that not loud enough? There you so go. There it You're
0: is. You're better now.
2: All right. Um, I think the overall goal, and I don't want to speak for Nathaniel either with Slate and Glass, he's the producer, but I think you would agree that the uh, the overall goal for the viewer is to learn something. Yeah. Um, yeah. And just being with these guys over, I don't know, almost the last year or so, um, going on field days with them and doing some filming stuff, um, I've learned a lot myself, and I think we want to convey that to the viewers and um, we also, you know, we we shoot for the highest quality we can and I think that's mm-hmm. um, something that not a ton of people are doing, so um, it's a little extra time and, and effort, sure. uh, but it, I, I think it's going to be a little bit more appealing for people to watch if it's shot in higher quality and I think they might learn a little bit more too because it's going to be a little bit more interesting to watch too.
1: Yeah, I think just the details of, of the films, like it's not you're you're gonna be able to know for sure like oh that is a nap that's a white oak that is a what we saw this week and that's a that's a water oak like that is a swamp chestnut like you will know because it's just the the quality of the detail oh yeah it sits me back every time i go back and look at some of the stuff you guys shot and like wow that's awesome
0: well for us i mean we look back and uh, coming from like all the years of filming for myself and and filming other shows and it's just a little – it's totally different kind of style for me to go from the very um, point shoot, film a deer hunt. Yeah, oh, yeah. Different stuff to now this – you're breaking out cameras that look all sorts of goofy mm-hmm. to me. <laughs> look like Transformers <laughs> and yeah, stuff. Yeah, you know, like what, what is that? What is a box with a lens coming out yeah. the front? Like that doesn't even look right. Where are your buttons, dude? Is <laughs> that so, <whenever> you're moving <laughs>
1: stuff and twisting and turning? I'm like, I don't – How how do you you just do you? I don't know what's going on. How do you shoulder that thing? Yeah, yeah, Yeah.
0: they're heavy too. What is that thing? Nathaniel always look at the head on that thing. (laughs) (laughs) But it's
1: so true though. Um, But you know that's that's where it's like, okay, you guys obviously know what the heck is going on. So here's kind of what we would like to accomplish, and you guys just do your work. You you do your thing. You tell me where I need to step, where I need to stand, and hopefully that information through just a. In a regular conversation we're having mm-hmm. with you know a landowner or just a hunting situation between Adam and I, like it's just being captured and I guess in its truest sense, if you will, like not anything staged or or anything. It's just like raw, if it's you reality, right. it's
0: reality, yeah, and I think. Going back to the original question you asked me is is what about the film series and And this is just I, I guess a little bit we're not so much educational right now on our habitat. we're just kind of giving you guys an idea what's to come. I looked at the calendar we're hoping to be releasing that first film, I think next week oh boy and so uh yes, but when we talk about this and inspiring is I think there's a something to be said about trying to put something out there that's going to reach an audience that may not already be interested in it. Mm -hmm. So you think about the wives and the kids that maybe they're not hunters. Maybe they're a little bit interested. They think it's cool. But now they see something that has them a little bit like, wow, that's really cool. It's kind of that documentary style where you're like, wow, that's and reality side to where there's, there's personality, there's, um, a personal feel to it but there's also the the content the visual content that goes wow like you just yeah. it captivates you yeah and i think that's what overall our whole goal is to put out information and that's one thing to say about the videos is they may not be as downright to the details that we talk about in the podcast that's kind of by design that is exactly that's by design because once that film is released we can come
1: back we've got an hour hour 15 minutes to talk more in depth about the actual habitat. Maybe it's it's the, the dirty details of, of creating a, a bedding area thicket or it is the dirty details of, you know, you guys saw the composition of this timber unit and, and we recommended that landowner how to go about using um, the hack and squirt treatment. And now that you have that image, we can go in, in detail in the podcast and talk about, you know, which trees specifically to, to try and select and remove and terminate in that exact unit. So it's going to be visual but then still have that that really informational packed podcast to correlate with
0: that film. Absolutely. Absolutely. So pretty well covered the visuals. I'm so
1: excited. <laughs>
0: yeah. I, am. I I am I can't too. Tell. As,
2: can't tell.
1: Yeah, right? <clears throat> so my I guess my biggest question and, and to kinda introduce you, Zach, um, because again, we've spent a lot of time together and we've been able to share kind of stories of of you know your passion of filming and capturing this stuff. And I think it's important for for other people to use Adam, we've shared ours about, you know, why we really kinda do what we do. Um and I think people who are passionate kind of have a similar story as as to why and how they got so just in depth. Um, with, with their passion. So Zach, if you'll, if you'll talk a little bit about, you know, how you kind of got started in filming, why you got started in filming um, and, and kind of go from there.
2: Okay. Um, so yeah, I pretty much grew up hunting. I'm, I'm from Ozark here, just south of Springfield. Um, we're in Nixa right now, which is also my uh, crosstown rival. So. There you go. <laughs> but anyways, yeah, I grew up hunting. Dad always took us out. Um, used to watch all the hunting videos, outdoor channel, all that stuff. Um, but never really thought of like a career or, or, you know, never really entered my mind that that could be a possibility as a, of a, of a career. But even through college, I went to U, uh, U of A with a marketing degree, um, pretty much in college. My whole plan was to be in the pharmaceutical sales or medical type field. Um,
1: boring. Yeah.
2: <laughs>
0: I'm kidding. A lot of traveling.
2: But well, um, you just
0: bashed all the guys out there yeah, listening man. to our podcast <laughs> on, in the medical field. Get out of here. Take away his mic.
2: They're probably in the car right now listening. He's got right. a lot of car time. But uh anyway, so I did that for a few years. Um and, you know, like even in college, if you would have told me I wouldn't be filming hunts or anything, I'd be telling I'd be saying you're crazy. Yeah, I would have yeah. never thought that was real. But um <clears throat> so I guess it kind of all started. My first job I had to move to Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and I lived up there for about a year and just off a whim, I went to Bass or Best Buy, mm-hmm. and I bought a, uh, a like a little point and shoot camera. Yeah, uh, just a little Canon point and shoot, and I filmed a couple turkey hunts up there. I, I got one with my bow, and then I I started editing on a little iPad. Nice, yeah, yeah a little yeah, iPad yeah. and uh, I, with iMovie. Yeah, with iMovie, and I, <laughs> I was like, "Whoa, this is uh, this is cool! It looks, it seems like there's like an infinite of possibilities you could do with this. Right, it's just right, pure creation, and it's awesome and uh, A light bulb kind of went off in my head and I I thought at that point, all right, at some point, this is what I'm going to do. Yeah, yeah. I I don't know when that's going to be or what it's going to look like, but that's what I wanted to do. Um, Fast forward about three years, I'm back home. Um, I'm still in the pharmaceutical world, but I've learned a lot. I spent a lot of nights on YouTube learning, Yeah, um, yeah. just tinkering around, editing and things like that. Um, And it kind of came to a point where I just gathered up enough gear and enough skill to where I think I was able to to make a career at this. And, um, Nathaniel with slate glass. He mm-hmm. posted something on Facebook about a job opening with slate glass. Um, I think this was three years ago or so, but I was like, Oh, this would be awesome. This, this might be the opportunity. Um, right. And I saw us from Lebanon, Missouri, which is about an hour away. So <clears throat> I call him for an interview and we just clicked like we just got along. We have similar stories. Um, and it, it didn't work out with the job then with him, but mm-hmm. he, he's like, I'm going to save your number. I'm always looking for help on shoots. And he invited me to a shoot about, about six months to a year later or something. Mm-hmm. And I went on that shoot with him as a week long shoot. And that light bulb that was in my head just exploded and it right. turned into a spotlight. And I was like, this, this is it. I, I've, I've got to find a way. So <clears throat> I took that leap of faith, started my, um, started doing this full time. I do a lot of local real estate stuff too, but, um, and, and Nathaniel's just been, he's been a blessing, man. Like he he's helped me out a lot, showed me a lot, taught me a lot. There's a lot of intricate details and things like that. Oh, yeah. So he showed me a lot and, um, and yeah, it's just kind of flourished from there. Then now we have this local show with you guys and I, we're super excited for this because we, we usually travel a ton Especially this last year, we've been on the road a lot, so this is going to be a really awesome local show for us, and Mm -hmm. it's just going to be awesome. Like, it's it's really
0: cool, and I'm excited for it. And I think you know another really cool thing is it's not like we're all sticking to one farm. Like we're going to be on your own farm,
1: exactly. Yeah, that that's really cool. Uh, One thing you were saying there, Zach, it it kind of hit me as a I guess a comparison a parallel between you know your you're talking about you know going out and shooting and, and filming the turkey hunt and you know that was like you know a, a process of okay you were able to to be a part of the the filming aspect of it the shooting aspect of it and then the editing and then you got like a a final product and that's it, it, what what kind of clicked for me in my head was that's kind of what Adam and I do. Like we, we'll go to a property and we evaluate it. We're on it and we're a part of it. And then we come home and we, we put it all together. We edit it, if you will, and, and, you know, make a layout and then give it back to the client. And you know, they kind of see the, the full process. And it's kind of like when you release a, a film or whatever They're mm-hmm. you know, your audience is able to take it in and we, we give back a, a, a layout or consultation, a management plan. They're able to kind of take that information in um, and kind of hopefully see those steps in which. You know, guided us to make the decisions or recommendations that we did, but you know, you have you have a process and the things that you do for your um, you know field, and, and same for us. But you know, learning that um, firsthand and learning those steps, I think I think it's kind of cool. Like I, I see I see parallels to it, so I can certainly appreciate like that learning mm. process and just diving in and being such a big part of it. That's awesome. Well, yeah.
0: What I got out of it was the self-taught. Yes, and yes. how it's like. It, it's very similar story i mean i've covered this a lot in our, our, on a weekly basis about i'm an ag major but i work in the wildlife field mm-hmm. it's and and i deal more with instead of just white-tailed deer but just overall habitat and all that was self-taught basically a lot of late nights you know you said you were doing youtube mm-hmm. videos i was reading books and articles and Research articles and and trial and error in the field was a huge part for me, and then it came to really just watching the habitat when we walk around properties Mm -hmm. to where, oh look, here's a non-native autumn olive used as a screen. Oh look, it's everywhere now. Oh, Mm -hmm. I won't do that, and I will make sure I tell everybody Mm -hmm. else to not do that. Kind of, and and I think you know probably if somebody walked around with us during. During a, a turkey hunt or whatever, I would look like the biggest spacehead <laughs> in the world because I'm just like evaluating yeah, everything. everything. You, you are, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Especially when turkeys aren't
1: gobbling, you're just like looking around, looking. Well, man, I, ooh, I like this pinch. I, I could kill a deer here or look at look at this little habitat feature, whatever it is. Yeah, you get. You get a little spacey, mm. and you're probably the same way. You're like, oh, it, you're walking through the temp or something. If you, even if you don't have a camera, you're like, oh, that would be a beautiful yeah. shot. Like, I, I could capture that in this way or whatever. I it's could see this coming, coming together. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But like, that's just so funny. Like how everyone's mind, I feel like, in in what they do or their passions, they're just so kind of ingrained. And you know, if you, you're able to do what you love, um, you can't you can't almost like step away from it. Like mm-hmm. it, you're, it's just a part of you, and you just do it, and you're happy to do it. And it's like, there's so much I think to say about doing things that you love.
2: And one thing that Adam said too, that really stuck out to me was the the trial and error. That was something I did a lot. Of. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's something I didn't mention kind of on the story. Me and my best friends, I think whenever we were in college, like when I'd come home on, on breaks and stuff, yeah. um, we would film all of our hunts and it was just, like, it wasn't for any money. It was just for fun. Yeah. And that was like a major trial and error. Like what worked. How do you set a tree or a camera in a tree? How do you mm-hmm. use, you know, just those little things. And it was okay to make a mistake then because it didn't really matter. But yeah. it was a bl- what, huge
0: learning curve. What buddies to not film in the future. Oh. <laughs> I have that. Not, you I'm going to send them this and they're going to be like, uh, well, one of my buddies worked with Adam yeah. there for a little
2: bit. So he knows him very well. <laughs> but anyway, we, I guess we were... won't throw any names no, out no. there. <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh those were good times, man. And I think it um the trial and error is a big aspect. I think for anything that you want to do, um, you know, failing's a big part of that and you can learn from those mistakes.
0: Oh, totally. Failure is one of the we talk about it in the in the ag side of the world and in the land management side that failure is probably one of the best teachers just because oh, yeah. uh failure oftentimes results in a loss of money. Mm-hmm. And loss of money is a very, oh, I did not like that. I will not do that again type scenario. So, or you, you, you lose time when it comes to gr- to growing seasons or, or like for you,
1: you were shooting stuff and like, oh, did I capture the right shot? Oh, I didn't like, no, that was, could be thought of as a waste of time and for the wildlife side of things or the habitat side of things. Like you do something and then it takes so much time to either, you know, replenish the area, or recover the mistake that you made because growing seasons, so on, so on. But, it just takes time and you learn through mm-hmm. those processes. And there's, again, there's nothing wrong with a little bit of failure because if you can take that, basically it's just, it's a different form of criticism. And if you can take that and apply it to the the better advancement of your knowledge. Then man, you're, you're off to
0: the races. Yeah, I totally agree. 100%. I think it's a definitely something that, you know, I think about your story, Shermer, and I'm like, We have very similar paths, very similar directions, but with different things. As far as we want to tell a story to inspire people with our words and actions of land management, and you want to inspire people and teach people and tell a story with the lens. Yes. And so you're trying to work on telling a story that's with the lens and capture what's happening in front, and we're trying to tell a story in front of the camera about Mm -hmm. something different. But I I think it's, uh, It's I'm very excited to see what, what all unfolds in the next year.
1: So we've already kind of in in all this talked about, you know, what your goals are as, as the field producer for this, like what you want to see happen. Um, Again, that's, that's telling this story and sharing these stories, you know, providing people with with the value of, of a legacy that can be left on their properties and managing it the right way. So, you kind of br- talked briefly on it about um your hunting you know just you, if you will career or, or time spent in the woods since i guess talk real quickly about your progression as yeah. a hunter you know kind of from when you started how you got your start and, and then where you are now and how that process has
2: been yeah i'll tie into that too the um uh, um uh the conservation aspect of it too, because right, right, right. So like I said, we grew up hunting, um, started out with the turkey hunting. My dad got uh, permission on this, this little piece of ground in Bolivar, Missouri. And those were some, some of the funnest times I've ever had turkey hunting, just following my dad's footsteps in the woods. But, um, <clears throat> so yeah, we, we started hunting turkeys then. And then, uh, I think, oh, when I was probably about 14 ish, somewhere in there, 13, my dad started bow hunting. And um, he had also purchased a piece of property up in Buffalo, uh, Buffalo, Missouri, just about an hour north of here. And this piece of property is just like a slice of heaven for us. And I it, I can't like thank my dad enough because I really think it kind of made the person that I am today, just sure. being able to be out in the outdoors and hunt, just driving an hour from home. Um, That's why so, I love land. Yeah, like it man. accomplishes
1: so many different things for people. different times of their life it means different things and like it's so i don't know consuming i don't know if that's the right word but like it 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 just
2: takes on different things for different people well if you think like it's a major part of my life and will always be that right and i think that's the case for anyone that maybe grew up had the luxury of growing up and having some having some land to hunt anytime you want it's it's just ingrained in your life and it always will be and you'll have awesome memories there but, um, so yeah, we started hunting that and this is, this, this ground was your typical Ozark country, uh, pretty hilly, maybe not quite as hilly down, uh, like in Branson area, but mm-hmm. nice rolling hills and a lot of hardwood timber. And I, when I mean a lot, I mean, it's 360 acres and we probably have 300 acres of hard timber. Right. Right. So I would say the first 10 years or so, we spent a lot of, uh, a lot of our time and effort on trying to do food plots creating those openings, or the existing small, small old fields that we had, clearing those off and putting food in them. And we really focused on that a lot. And we thought, you know, food is great, but we thought that was the only way to have good deer numbers. Sure. And we neglected our timber. And um, over, I would say, the last year or so, meeting you guys, listening to your guys' podcast, shooting with you, visiting properties that are that are really incredible for wildlife not just deer and turkey but everything butterflies uh bees quail mm-hmm. everything it was an eye opening experience to see those properties and it has inspired me and my dad to get to work on our property right and start managing that timber that we've let go over the last 10 or so years mm-hmm. so our mind sh- or our mind has shifted to more of a conservation mindset instead of just big food plots big deer Right. We want, we want to hold as many deer and turkey as we possibly can. Sure. On our property. Um, and you know, this last winter we put a, we put a lot of work in my dad and I, he's been on the dozer making edges on fields. Yeah. Um, creating natural habitat. I've spent a lot of time in the timber doing the hack and squirt, which I've learned from you guys and, and running the chainsaw, a lot of sore backs, but um, I guess that's kind of just how it's progressed. Is we, we see the benefit of conserving the land that we have and mm-hmm. making it the best we possibly can.
1: Right. You you have a, a resource available to you guys, and now instead of just putting in you know the food pots, you're you're taking a different approach to things, and you're looking at I guess long term investments of you know turnaround on the habitat mm-hmm. and where emphasis lays now. Um, and the benefit of that emphasis of putting it on the timber for various species. Um and like, I'm not trying to down food plots by the way. No, and, <laughs> and, and we're not either. Yeah. They they play yeah. such a an integral role to, you know, hunting success and overall forage and quality of forage, you know, provided, but that's that's one aspect of land management. Mm-hmm. And and you guys have taken it to the next level and are focusing on different aspects beyond just food plots and correct me if i'm wrong but you guys have you guys had a pretty good season last year with sightings and like i think you were on deer early in the year september september um, 15th yeah you uh, you had some, i think we were texting back and forth and had some encounters and then your dad was able to harvest um he killed two bucks didn't two he two nice bucks yeah. yeah um you know you but not just because of the, the work he did this year but everything coming together Um, you know, improvements are being made and improvements are being seen in whether it's the deer herd or the successfulness of your, your hunting seasons. Mm. Um, and that's for Adam and I, that's what we love to hear. We love to hear, Hey, I'm doing this. Oh, and then in return, this is kind of what happened. Our experience, this, those texts and those phone calls. That's just like, sweet man.
2: Yeah. And you guys did a field day at our place and, um, gave us a lot of great information. Um, things that we didn't really know, um, as far as creating these little bedding spots, you know, just mm-hmm. different, just different ways of thinking about land that we never really expected. And, uh, that, that was awesome. It was a great learning experience.
1: Well, and I, I hope people are kind of getting excited about this, this property. Cause like Adam talked about earlier, part of the films that we're going to shoot, like throughout the year, we're going to see this place. You know, we want, we want, we want, You know, your work to be shown and um, it's a great place, a great story to be able to tell, you know, you and your dad out there working together on on a family piece of property um, and doing some of the recommendations again, seeing the success and seeing the the other species flourishing, whether that is just more native vegetation out there um, or you guys got a heck of a turkey population. Mm -hmm. You guys do well in the spring um, maybe that increases or just the the number of pults you're seeing each year increases because of the work that you're doing
0: yeah when you look at this habitat you certainly can see that doing work outside of the food plots is certainly going to help the turkey population even more because yeah you go from i mean i think at your place you have very hard edge from food plot to mature timber and that's pretty much it there's not a whole lot of other things there there's not a whole lot of minus the grass right close to the house Mm -hmm. Uh, but it's pretty hard edges and it sounds like with your edge feathering and and different things and certainly the the bedding thickets that you've created you're creating better edge and not only are you creating more edge but you're softening those edges Mm -hmm. there's more of a transition there so um and and it's all going to be very beneficial not only the deer but the turkeys so and
1: and I don't think we've even mentioned it. You guys are burning too. You guys yeah. are you guys are putting flame on the ground, and we've laid out some some burn units. And um, when time allows, you guys are going to be making a big impact on the fact that hey, you know, we're putting what some of these some of these units are fifty acres. Like yeah. when you when you burn off these, like that's a that's a lot of additional forage and cover. It's going to change the dynamic of of that timber ground.
0: I think of the. Whenever you start doing this work and you think about, well, you make, you'll make the comment or you automatically in your head, you think, um, man, your place is going to be so much better than the neighbors. Yeah. But it's not a, to me, it's never about like, oh, this is going to be better than the neighbors. So the hunting's going to be so much better. Sure, that's awesome. You're going to have great hunting. But hopefully that motivates your neighbors to do the same thing. And then when your neighbors get on board, you start getting bigger chunks of ground that are devoted to land management and improving it to where you have a huge chunk of ground and hopefully, who knows? Maybe we'll be ambitious and say it's spread across the country. Yeah, there we go. But like, we got rid of Eastern Red Cedar Monoculture.
1: (laughs) He had to say that, huh?
0: (laughs) I can't go podcast without it. No.
1: (laughs) But that's like, that's the value of of doing the work and then sharing these stories is whether it's a a QDMA cooperative that you're starting in your area. And there's a a new branch there kind of out of Buffalo um, that started, but just getting these like minded, Hunters and land managers and, and private landowners together sharing the success stories is going to do that. So that's why you know having you on is is important to the overall mission. Again, this is okay. We do have some lenses in front of us and stuff, but like you're able to share your story in a different light now, and more more wildlife are going to be improved. More habitats going to be improved. Like we're we're, we're able to make an impact because of the story and the work that you're actively going out there and doing, like you just talked about a sore back. Oh my gosh. Like sometimes like this stuff can get tiring. Like you're it's legit work. Um, But hopefully for those people who are out there, they know, okay, when I've got a sore back one, I'm making an improvement, but two, I've got to kind of share the success with people, whether it's taking a kid hunting or whether it's just talking about, you know, the improvements on your property so that they too can go out and do the same thing.
0: Yeah, I'm going to step back a little bit to something you guys were talking about earlier. Um, and it kind of really triggered a thought in my head of you talked about how your dad's purchase of that land was so in, crucial and making you basically who you are today as far as that gave you guys an escape. It gave you a place to go and enjoy the outdoors. But you got to think about those people that don't have that opportunity. Yeah. And I think that's important for those of us that do have that to try and—and and I know you did this because you t- I, I've seen the videos and talk about taking your buddies and mm. doing all that, but it's, it's really important that the guys of us that have the land or have access to land selfishly don't just keep it to ourselves. We try to get other people, and especially now in 2018, when you look at the hunter numbers and the trends that we're facing, it is very, very important that we get other people involved and not just— the people that already have land that have that opportunity, but the people that haven't gone hunting or the kids that have, don't have that opportunity. Mm-hmm. It's really important that we get them out there
1: for sure. For sure. And again, like you you've, you've got a story and, and anyone who's got a story, like be happy to have people on like this is, this is fun because this is, you know, seeing the, the fruits of your labor and be able to share that, you know, that that's what this is all about. Um, and and the filming aspect of things is going to only increase that. And, you know, stories are, are great through a podcast and they can be, you know, listened to anywhere and at any time. But we're, we're trying to take it to the next level with these films and, and share that bond that people have, one with land mm-hmm. and the bond that the wildlife have with the land, the dependency of it and, and just educating people on it, like. I'm
0: so pumped up about it. I can't <laughs> and, I can't help it. And not just the bond with the land and the animals, but the bond that we have with each other yeah. as hunters sharing that experience. Yeah. I and and you mentioned this about your buddies and hunting with your dad and those relationships that were built and it's you'd be hard pressed to find a relationship that's more rock solid than the one that you have with your buddy that you've set around the campfire during hunting season and telling stories about the hunt and and i think about this i there's probably not a day or it's it's at least five days a week that i don't think about the hunts that i had with Mm -hmm. my buddies Mm -hmm. when i was in high school and college and and those are the hunts that like i'm sorry matt you and i spent a lot of time together in the last mm-hmm. couple of years and, and even matt but for some reason you cannot beat those those hunts uh-uh. with your buddies when you were a ki- when you were growing up and learning the trade of hunting and being a successful hunter And i look back a lot of the stuff we did was so stupid but mm-hmm. but my gosh some of the stuff we figured out was was so much fun and really basically laid the foundation of of who we are today and and i think that's the that's the most amazing thing about honey to yeah.
1: me yeah it, like you said I, I think there's like that kind of I don't know if it's, a, if it's a window a time frame but like where your your memories that you have about some things are just so stinking concrete and rock solid it's like that that time frame, that window that I experienced all this was just so influential on one who I am today
0: you know I, what I mean I, I th- I think about that thing I, I shared with you. I don't know if I shared it on a podcast or not, but we talked about this on a road trip, Matt, whenever we said that at some point in your childhood, you and your buddies went out to play wiffle ball for the last time and nobody oh. even knew it. Right, right. Yeah. And and I th- that really hit me hard because I played a pile of wiffle ball growing up and it was some of the most, like when I think of my childhood, it's, it's wiffle ball. That's yeah. pretty much yeah. it. I and The wiffle ball on the farm, but... Um, it's kind of like that with hunting too that with some of your hunting buddies and it it happens to all of us that at one point in time you went hunting with your buddies for deer camp for the last time and nobody even knew it Mm -hmm. and and i think that's something that we've really started to lose in the hunting culture is this deer camp atmosphere now there's some people that are strong as ever i applaud you guys and tear from my eye for you guys because you got something very special but um that's something that is kind of lost there's this really competitive spirit anymore with the with the hunting world of very much so uh, uh, you've got to remove your remove whoever it is because you want to try and kill that big buck but Mm -hmm. i would shoot (laughs) this is a pretty bold statement but i would probably stick to shooting forky horns and does and have all my buddies around and hunting with me, rather than trying to eliminate all of them and shoot a two hundred inch deer. But mm-hmm. That's just me. I, I just I think there's something really deep about the involvement and the people that are with you when you're hunting. And and I, so going back to that five days a week, I think about hunting with my buddies. I don't just think about that. I think about working my butt off to try and find and build a property to where one time a year. I can have all my buddies that I remember in, and we just have, maybe we go rabbit hunting and deer hunting or quail hunting and deer hunting, or maybe squirrel we don't. Hunting. Maybe we're squirrel yeah. hunting. Anything. The last time we did this was my bachelor party three years ago, and we had 36 guys at my okay. cabin. Twenty-five of them stayed the night, or 28 of them, sorry. True. I mean, it looked like a military <laughs> camp in that <laughs> four-bedroom barn Barrett. house. I mean, yeah. there was there was... Cots, cots everywhere sleeping bags, and uh that was probably the most fun i've had in the last five years is because mm-hmm. we had a squirrel hunting contest afterwards or, or the next day right and it was like we broke off into i think it was five teams and we had uh, you should have heard it. I, I couldn't imagine the amount of twenty-two <laughs> rounds. Just it was. Pew, you heard, pew, we pew tried to there. hunt with four tens and shotguns, oh, just okay. so everybody wasn't sending twenty-two safety. bullets in the air. Everywhere, yeah. yeah, for safety reasons. So it'd be like you'd have a few guys shooting. Like you'd hear like, pew, pew, boom, 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 boom. <laughs> oh, yeah. it was so much fun. We got back, had the weigh in. It was just like, man, that is the stuff that I miss so mm-hmm. much, and out of all the hunting stuff i absolutely love the the land management side but i i love the the culture and the and the camaraderie about hunting
1: like this weekend we were fortunate enough to be in mississippi and meet a new well we had met him prior but share camp and share hunting with a new friend and that was that was awesome like that was so much fun one getting to learn um that habitat that farm that property and just the way things that him and his dad um had grown up in that camp nature and that hunting club nature that they had been a part of and and he was so ingrained with like you know we got a a little taste of it Mm -hmm. and just being able to share that that atmosphere that was that was fun i enjoyed that
2: yeah that was fun and it's always fun seeing like you said Different cultures and how they've shared deer camp and how they share turkey camp. Um, but that's funny that you mentioned that. That's, I mean, we always have the Shermer deer camp. All, all our, our close guys in our family my uncle, my dad, my brother he lives out in Denver, he comes in every year. Very first day of deer season, we always stay that whole weekend. It's the mm-hmm. Shermer deer camp, and man, those are. Man, those are some of the funnest times I'll have on the farm. Um, And it's not even... I mean, we don't usually even kill a lot of big bucks during gun season. It could just piling up the does or, Mm -hmm. you know, say someone kills their first buck. It's just so much fun. And uh, not to get too sentimental, but... My grandfather had passed away, and he was always involved in deer camp, and my uncle, and he was always involved in deer camp, and they yeah. passed away the last couple of years. But I can remember we'd do the same thing turkey camp. Yep. My grandpa killed the last big old tom in the front yard. That's awesome. Yeah, man, That's it's so just cool. so cool. And those are memories that we'll never forget, you know, no. none of us. And you, you, can't, you can't
1: ever replace that memory. It's just so, it's so important. And I know you're going to say something, Adam, but, Zach, you shared a story of of a camp um Back in, I think you you went to Washington, and on a Indian reservation or something yeah. like that, and, and that culture was something you had never really experienced before. But I'm gonna throw you under the bus to say, can you talk about that first thing? One refresh my memory, but that I think I remember you saying like that experience for you was like
2: whoa. Yeah, um, <clears throat> that was probably one of my favorite shoots this whole year. Um, we we're in Yakima, Washington, and we we're on the Yakima Indian Reservation. And I think it's—I'm I'm probably going to get this wrong—but it's somewhere around one and a half to two million acres. It's huge. Whoa, it's huge, and it's beautiful. We have I think it was Mount Rainier in the background everywhere we went. But, um, man, those guys—they uh, spend a lot—they spend a lot of time in the outdoors, and they know how to hunt those mountains. They know where the elk are. They know where the mule deer are. And it's just their culture is such a way that. They they have like if if there's a funeral or a wedding you go out and you eat wild game, and mm-hmm. I think that's something right. that's missed a lot in our culture is the wild game aspect. That's one of the reasons we all hunt is because the wild game t- like deer backstrap is better than a sirloin steak. I can tell you that right. Whoa now. Whoa, whoa, oh, whoa, oh. whoa 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 whoa. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean those guys. You can i mean they cook for me then? <laughs> they cherish. Like they cherish the experience, they cherish the opportunity. It's part of their culture. And I, I, I wish all, of, I wish America was like that, more yeah. t- geared towards that. You know.
1: Yeah. That that's. I
2: remember like you were sharing that
1: story. It's like the, just them in camp and their knowledge of where things were, that habitat, mm-hmm. and where to find game. I, I think I don't think you guys end up killing, but like you guys. They had they had like meat and stuff that they shared like I, as guests. You guys, they're like they treated you as kings, and like that was that was their kind of gift to you. That hospitality of hey, like this is, these are our resources here, and and we've been able to you know manage them and and, and harvest them, but like mm-hmm. we want to share them. Like, just pushed food on you guys.
2: Oh yeah, yeah. They we ate we ate great. It, I mean, we had a mountain camp, but we ate elk, mule deer every night over a fire. Oh, that's so cool. Oh, man, it was fun. It was fun. And it snowed a bunch on us and it was in October. It's harsh conditions, but it was wow. it was awesome.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I think it, to me you know, when you're talking about the food in camp, I don't even know where we're at in the notes. I saw you were looking <laughs> Matt. We're just we're just we're, this we're, is a hunting culture yeah. ramble that's is it. what this podcast <laughs> like is. Which I'm totally cool with. It'd save us a little bit of break on the habitat side. Sorry guys that are here listening for <laughs> habitat. This is important to us just as much as a habitat. So um, we talk about the uh, – <laughs> we're going to get all sorts of sentimental this week on the podcast because when you're talking about the food at camp, there are certain meals that I automatically – we actually talked about this this past weekend in Mississippi, the senses that take you back oh, and yeah. and the senses that, like, you just automatically – the smells about – Certain things in the woods that automatically take you back, and the sounds, and and for me, the taste of some of the food that you eat in deer camp. I could, we could make biscuits be and gravy, or biscuits and sort and molasses and eggs and hash browns and bacon. Got to have the bacon on the old wood camp stove at my cabin, and go, and we could eat that meal, and then we could turn around with the exact same ingredients and make it here at home. And it would not taste the same. <laughs> no. It, you
1: wouldn't have the kitchen doesn't fill up with wood smoke. It no. fills up with just smoke from the the bacon grease or something. But that like feeling of it being trapped like in that cabin and just you can't beat it. It's no, di- it's it, so it, different, but it's so you know, it's, it's unique to that situation.
0: Like I will give you the month of October and honey season, but don't you dare take away Deer Camp for me. Yeah. Uh, and I there was years where I missed Deer Camp due to other work obligations and and deer camp continued on without me, but it was like a part of my heart was being ripped out and, and left right there. Cause I, I couldn't experience that. So man, deer camp or hunting camp food, another one that I think of it. And so that was the breakfast opening day of, of gun season for me. That was one of them. The other one that I always think about is on a river bank or lake bank, hot dogs dipped, take the hot dog and dip it in the barbecue, uh, Jug or whatever, and you just dip it straight into it. What? <laughs> I promise you, try this. This would be one of the best hot dogs you ever have. And you dip oh, it boy. into that, pull it out, put it on an open flame, and it's like a barbecue oh. hot dog. And it is—you <laughs> cannot beat it. I swear. You put that in on a on a lake bank, and this goes back to fishing for big walleye on points mm-hmm. during January and February, and uh, we would do that and. And I don't know if it was the fact that we're just really hungry and we always did that, but that's just, that's one of those meals. I haven't eaten it in years, but it would be like, if we did that right now, I'd be like, just close my eyes and I could I could picture. You'd be on the bank again. I'd be on the bank again. And I think that we're not just rambling about this because it's it's fun to talk about the old days, but it's something that as we, and Matt and I have hammered this, and we're going to continue hammering this for years to come having at home about um getting people involved in the outdoors and how it is crucial that we find the things that can get the other people that aren't hunters into the outdoors and maybe it's not even to get them to go and shoot a big deer or shoot even a deer but i can promise our listeners and whoever it is that we talk to that if if you were to pull a guy out of 10 guys out of a cubicle in new york city and we were to take them the out to a hunting camp and put them around an open campfire Mm -hmm. and we just started cooking i guarantee you a lot of those guys would have a good time And, and and we could sleep in the next day and go drive around and try and kick up some rabbits and i guarantee you they'd start their mind would start changing about the outdoors and going, you know, it's not as crazy yeah. as I thought it like, was. these
1: people aren't ruthless killers. Yeah, like, these it, people are just it, having fun. It's I not mean, about dipping dopey all over our boots yeah. and yeah.
0: and getting out there. And it, to me, it's just as much happening. What gets us out there is in the camp as it is in the outdoors or in mm-hmm. the woods. So that's something that I hope that we can we try to get more people involved by just introducing them to deer camp because if more mm. people are aware of what deer camp actually is then I think there'd be so many more hunters out there. Oh yeah.
1: I don't, I don't doubt that at all. Um, that those just experiences can't, can't be beaten at all. Um, and you know, not to, to steer away from this, this talk, but Zach, you since, since filming here with us, um, for the past couple of years, you've been a you know, part of some trips that we've taken and, talking about kind of going back to your property and that evaluation that you had and gave, you know, kind of what it was, you know, the, the timber, um, you had some openings, you kind of focused on food plots, kind of two, two trips, I think, and we've had serious talks about them, you know, whether it's on the way home or, or afterwards that just kind of were eye opening, I guess, for you and, and kind of takeaways from those trips, that you now want to incorporate into your farm. Um, one, I think hopefully a lot of people have have seen the, the Laddie video of the property there in Delaware that mm-hmm. we went to. Um, Zach shot all that and put it all together, but we, we spent three days out there on his place and toured it and um, saw some incredible habitat. Um, But that was something kind of new for you, that aspect of of that property and that transition that had been and and gone through. Um, Then another one, Adam, we we did that um, video for MDC on grazing diverse natives, and Zach put all that together. But that was another property that really, from from a hunting aspect, it it didn't have that much timber on it, but the wildlife value was incredible on that place. So talk
0: about— I don't even think they had food plots there either. And I don't know. I don't They think were sharing there was a pictures of all the stuff they killed, and yeah, it's just Walt, uh, like
1: tons of turkeys. There was quail whistling all over this place, and I, I, like you said, I don't think there was a, a food plot on it. Period. And no. there was a lady who talked about her experiences prior to them really. Basically, what had been some some uh, fescue pasture and stuff, and then they started planting these diverse native species for grazing and implementing that rotation through that farm. And that changed things drastically from the hunting. And not even
0: just warm season grasses, but they had native cool season grasses, yeah, and mixed with the forbs. And she was talking about seeing over twenty deer in one field, and I'm just like looking around, like, yeah, where are they coming from? Like, right.
1: And and she talked about um, shed hunting too. That first year, they had not they didn't had like great success shed hunting, and then they found I don't I can't remember the exact numbers, but I knew it was like over 80% of them were in that like newly planted diverse native um, stand that the cattle had kind of come back and grazed and they had rotated through there, but that's where the food was. And it was all native. It wasn't a food plot, but like 80% of the sheds or more, I mean, it was a really big number were found right there in like 20 acre. What was uh, a cool season fescue pasture, non-native. And then they started doing this work and it was like, Holy cow! The response was incredible. But Zach, I want you to talk about those two um, experiences and kind of how your thought process is mm-hmm. after
2: after experiencing those. So the one word I would say <clears throat> to summarize both of those properties is lush. Ooh! There was growth. Lush. I mean, growth like I've never seen before. All, the floor of the forest was grown all the way up. Some points points up to your hip. It was incredible. Um, Laddie's was the same way. He, his timber was, I mean, he kind of started with a bare piece of ground. It was just, it was corn and I think soybean fields back in his dad yeah. farmed yep. it. And he turned that place into just a wildlife farm pretty much. Um, every, everything is just lush green growth everywhere. Wild fl- of course, we went there in the summer, but, you know, wildflowers. He had wetland areas that just had, beautiful wildflowers going everywhere. And I'm sure, you know, deer love that habitat too when it's dried up, but it's just, it's very lush and green. And it's, it was a huge eye-opening experience for me. And to tie this back into the video aspect for you guys, I know for me, I'm a visual learner. So I can, you know, someone could say, oh, well, this is how you can do it. And this is what it'll look like. Someone could say that to me and I might, yeah, I agree with that. But until I see it, then I'm like, Oh, Seen is believing. That's what it looks like. So that's why I think bringing it back to the video for you guys—that's going to be powerful for people. You know, maybe right, they're right. a visual learner, and maybe they can watch an episode and say, "Oh, okay, this is the example that it, here's how you hack and squirt, and here's what it can turn into." You know what I mean? Oh yeah. Oh, so yeah. I think that's a, a visually seeing things is very powerful, um, and and that that was definitely the case for me going on those two properties and doing those shoots, um, and. Some things that I'm going to try to take away from those places, um, the the MDC shoot out there, and I think it uh, Mansfield area or just it was Licking, Houston, t- t- Texas, Texas County, Texas County. Yeah, um, they they had a beautiful prairies, um, just wide open prairies. And we have a little part on our farm, and in and in we call it our front yard, and it's five to eight acres somewhere in there, and it's just grown up with sapling, 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 sapling. Right. I want to turn those into prairies, like I saw out there, if mm-hmm. I can. Mm-hmm. Um, that's something I wanted to take away from there. And then Laddie's, his timber was really incredible, and the way he used screens and edges, and those are things I'm going to take away from from Laddie's property that I'd like to implement into ours.
1: Right, right. And those those properties were one was a one was a farm, like a working mm. ag mm. production farm, and then the other was a still in use you know a cattle producing farm but transitions changes had to be made and yes no longer is is laddie's you know is he producing you know crops on it but i guess the the point is the way i guess when you get to a farm so zach when you bought you and your dad got that place you know you're going to have to experience a change on that property and, and we've talked about it before and, and and this is another point we tried to hammer home is don't be afraid of change on a property. Don't be afraid to manipulate things. Because if, if you don't, then why expect things in the wildlife to change for the good? You know, if, if let, things are left unmanaged um, in many cases, then at some point the wildlife aren't going to be able to flourish as much. Mm-hmm. And so managing and changing, and Adam, you brought up a good point. I know it's a whole other podcast topic, but you talked about this weekend things that needed to be, sometimes sometimes the biggest thing that you can do on a property is remove stuff.
0: Yeah. Not necessarily adding, but removing. Yeah. And, And the reason for that was because how many times have we looked around and get asked the question, what can I plant? What can I do to help the wildlife? Well, that's a great mindset to have, but- a large majority of the properties we go to are you can plant something, you can add something, you can do something to help the wildlife. But the biggest thing, the biggest improvement that you can make is taking away something. And, and by that, I mean, if you have closed canopy forest, remove the species that aren't providing any benefit. Um, if you have a huge area that's just grown up old field and, and you have some natives trying to grow but you have fescue one of the biggest ways to improve it is not by planting more or or burning it is going to be removing that non-native cool season grass and and so it's a i don't know it's it's a different mindset because frankly you can't sell something but you can you can make a huge improvement by just removing the species that aren't providing benefit rather than trying to provide things that do benefit if that makes sense so that's kind of a that'll be a whole nother podcast that we do later on but um that's definitely something that that i uh that i think that is very important to consider when when you're really trying to squeeze out every drop of, uh, of the sponge if you will for wildlife management but there was a point i wanted to make with you zach was when we're comparing your farm and, and what you've done and what you guys have been doing and you've gone to these other places, what, if you were to pinpoint, and I'll just say it for you, but and we'll go into your kind of now, your transition and what you're doing. But when you think about those properties and you think about the timber, just the timber, because that's what, it, I mean, we call your farm the Big Woods Farm is your timber is, is mature timber. It's it's closed canopy forest. And and that's where I mean it's it's a huge probably 95% of the form is is that habitat. And then you think of those other two where there was wildlife everywhere. There's quail, turkeys, deer, butterflies, honeybees, whatever. The timber was totally different. <laughs> There was all kinds of growth underneath, and and you know Laddies was it was a it was once a crop field, so the, you don't have the years and years and it's a, years it's a of growth forest, yeah, and but you still have a forest because w- what was the DBH on those trees? Probably <sighs> anywhere from eight to ten. Yeah, I mean, eight to ten, and you've got that on your place, it's scattered to where mm-hmm. at one point it was probably open. Uh, It was because we looked at Web Soil Survey. It was woodland, upland woodland. So you have these big, wolfy post oaks scattered around your timber and big, wolfy Mm -hmm. white oaks, and then a bunch of 6- to 8-inch DBH trees scattered around, which once tells us that those trees probably weren't there. It was more just grass and forbs underneath these big old giant oaks. And so I think that's something that I, I may put words in your mouth, but seeing their properties and understanding what benefit they were having because of all that under early secession and underbrush and seeing it not existing on your place motivates you to go how do i get that on my farm right
1: and i think that's one thing we we often talk about you know is what should be there on on a place from region to region because the habitat has changed the land use has changed across the country we don't know what it should even look like most people don't have the idea the sense of oh this is actually natural and should be here so you've been able to see zach now these areas that oh okay that that's natural that that's what should be happening here Mm -hmm. um and now you can kind of connect those two dots like now i can replicate this at my 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 place
0: for example when we looked up his place and we were like oh yeah your place should be an upland woodland it's like if you hearing it is going oh okay a woodland that just sounds like forest to me sounds pretty <laughs> but until you see a woodland and we say oh on that property that we shot for the diverse native grasslands and you saw the the open kind of semi open canopy and all the underbrush that's more of a woodland yes. and you go that's what I'm shooting for holy cow I gotta do some I gotta Let's make do some it. change yeah yeah so I I think that's something that I enjoy always talking to people that are new to it. And understanding it and, and, and are really motivated to try and do that. Like like Zach here because he goes from planting the food plots and really devoting his time to that to he I I will throw you under the bus here and I'll say uh I remember when we first started talking and you guys you and Nathaniel would make fun of us because we oh. would nerd out <laughs> we would. over over driving grasses, down the road or something. Native grasses oh, and forests. Look, 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 look. And they would be like, ooh, 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 ooh. Ooh, is that <laughs> and, blue uh, stem? Yeah. Ooh, 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 And now you guys, or you especially, is really kind of like, I totally see what it is you guys geek out over now because I've seen the properties where that is occurring, and I see how, how much wildlife is flourishing mm-hmm. as well as the farm. I mean, the, the first farm was a cattle farm that was doing really well, but with also really great wildlife. Yeah. And that's, that's really hard to find in this country.
1: It is. But yeah, I, it's funny. Cause Adam and I, like after we get off um, from traveling down the road or something and either like you or Nathaniel would make fun of us. We're like, yeah, they'll get it. They'll get it one day. And then, but seriously, like you, you and, and your mindset has changed because you've, you've been able to experience that and that experience that you've seen is what we want to do through these films. Mm-hmm. And that is the ultimate goal for, for what you've seen and experienced in the eye-opening, you know, portion, you know, recently is what we want to do for for other people, mm-hmm. and you're going to be a part of that, and that's what I'm really excited about.
2: Yeah, and the, and I know you guys have said this on the podcast before, but you're not just benefiting it. And this is one of the reasons why I've been so inspired to do this. You're not just benefiting it for the next season. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a transformation of the, of our farm, and hopefully, other people get to watch this. Um, it's going to be like that for a long time. And oh yeah. If, if I, if me and my wife decide to have kids, they're going to enjoy it. You know what I mean? For sure. So it's just the legacy aspect of it, which is really awesome. Totally. Sure. I th- I think
0: that's that's exactly kind of why we look at ourselves as being a little bit different is because I don't I I often weigh kind of the pros and cons of saying how how is this beneficial and there were a couple podcasts ago where the pros was immediate benefit but the con was long term negative mm-hmm. and and that's the kind of thing that we always are weighing out of going what does this practice that we're thinking about doing do to the habitat short term versus long term and and these and woodland restoration glade restoration savanna restoration those are the long term benefits where when you go back to your farm and you first bought it if you guys took pictures all around the farm, and you saw, I don't know what year that was, but it was a long time ago, mm-hmm. and you took pictures of the closed canopy forest, and then you take pictures of it now. Not a lot has changed. Mm-hmm. The trees have gotten a little bit bigger, but outside of that, it would have just continued to just creep along and creep along and creep along and not provide a huge benefit to the wildlife until either a tornado came through mm-hmm. and knocked a pile of trees down or beetles came in and killed a pile of trees, Mm-hmm. and then you started getting that underbrush, and then you would see that, and then it would just slowly transform back. So that constant management of trying to keep it more beneficial in, in what it really should be, woodland.
1: Yep, That's going to be awesome.
0: You, you ready to do some would-you-rathers here? Yeah, I'm ready. Would-you-rather this week brought to you by Redneck Outdoors, maker of the Redneck fiberglass blinds, and all sorts of Redneck blind attachments. Accessories. Accessories. There you go. So, Matt, you want to go first? And Shermer's going to get involved in this.
1: I'll go first. We have got the QDMA branch, and we've kind of talked about, you know, how do we... Reach the community and stuff like this. So this is this is a a unique question, something that's a little different. So would you rather, with the QDMA branch that we have, would you rather provide classroom material for high school, like the QDMA courses, things like that, or would you rather create a specific wildlife like scholarship for for people, kids in the area, um, to apply for and and try and get that scholarship? Which one? <laughs>
0: Man, yeah. that's like saying, Which would you one? rather give a homeless man $100 a hundred dollars or a a a person who just lost their job a hundred dollars? Like, <laughs> man, I don't know. <laughs> Both are good. It makes you think. Uh, I will just say that I would probably. I think a lot of our problems that we face in America today—not to get too deep or off subject—but can be solved by education on a on a very young. Uh, scale. So education in the, in the very beginning of time in the, in the classroom from a very young age, um, is a way to fix a lot of problems to, to where, you know, you can, man, this is terrible, but you can give somebody a scholarship, but at that age, there's a chance that they're already, they already have the direction figured out by that time they should kind of have an understanding of the direction or the field they're going to go into. And I'll, I'll, get to it. Don't give me a look like I'm, I'm crazy. Um, but you guys I would say guy? you can make a, a bigger impact long-term by getting in the classroom at a very young age and, and getting those kids aware to where um, you're impacting maybe one or two kids with a scholarship but getting them in the classroom, you're impacting the whole classroom. Mm-hmm. So that's what I would do. Okay. That's what I thought. I just,
1: you know, it's one of those, it was a little different, but I was like, you know what? I, I hope that some, maybe some other people are have the ability to possibly provide some classroom material for a local high school or something like that or, or a middle school and, and get some more people thinking about, you know, habitat, land management, whitetail management. You know, that's important. Oh, you know, I think I think it'll make a huge impact, you know, year in and year out just by providing the the course material. Um, And there's it's out there like they they provide it. People are doing this. Um, So if you have that that interest, I think it's a great opportunity to provide that for for local school or community, whatever it may be.
0: Uh, Absolutely. And I think that's something that that's a big part of why we started a branch Mm QDMA branch back home was Mm -hmm. that. There's strength in numbers, and there's yep. definitely strength in being associated with a conservation nonprofit organization like the QDMA or National Wild Turkey Federation or uh, Quail Forever to where a branch can do more than an individual and a, a a organization can do much more. So being associated with them allows us to use the power and the platform that they've built to reach places and go into schools that we probably couldn't do as two Joe blows off the street who have a podcast. So, uh, yeah, so I may, I'm kind of still tossing around in my head, completely change my would you rather, um, (laughs) just because we're kind of on this whole topic of hunting heritage and getting spreading uh, the hunting heritage uh, across the country. So would you rather introduce a kid to the outdoors take a kid who's got a dad who's already a hunter or would you rather find a a a mom a woman who whatever she's fallen on hard times uh, and she's wanting to take more or uh, be involved in the outdoors more or provide for her family more which one would you rather take a kid or a mom yeah darn you <laughs> uh
1: great 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 question i don't there's not a wrong answer there absolutely all. isn't and, 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 and same even with, with mine yeah there was there, not a wrong answer um i think that i would probably opt for the kid yeah again for the honestly the same the same reasons um he's Younger, he has the ability when he becomes attached, if you will, to hunting and overtaken by that passion to influence additional people, more people than than she would um however, I still wouldn't pass up an opportunity to introduce you know a mom who wants to provide for her family and honestly, who needs to feel that escape in the the outdoors that overwhelming, like you're consumed by creation. You're just out there. Like if she's falling on hard times, I I go, we talked about it in what gets you outdoors podcast. Like if, if I'm stressed, I've got something on my mind. Like the only place I want to be is just outside. I want to be in creation. I want to be, I want to feel it. I want to be a part of it. Um, That's a huge release and an opportunity to minister to her. Mm -hmm. Um, And and I'd hate to want to pass up that opportunity uh, as well, you know. There,
0: I'll, I'll go a little bit opposite of that because key word of that was said that the kid might likely have somebody else take him in the future. I, I think I said something like a dad possibly be able to take yeah, him. Yeah. So I'm banking on the fact that somebody will and I'm going to try and take I would try and take the 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 mom because I too. think the yeah, <laughs> you didn't read the fine print. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I would try and take her just because of the fact that I feel like Women in the outdoors, especially those type of women that I described, aren't as involved. But I think that once they get involved, they're the ones that really change some minds and really turn some heads to going, wow, she's hunting now? Like, mm-hmm. And she's likely to, to preach that gospel, how much the outdoors changed her life to where— more and more people are going to jump on that bandwagon. So it really, there is no wrong answer with either one of these, which is really trying to get the the wheels that turn in to where people go, boy, I'm going to go take somebody hunting. Yeah, Or I'm going to go start a QEMA branch or whatever it is. So,
1: Well, that was a heck of a uh, a podcast. You know, I think it's always fun, one, having other people on. Because you never really know the direction, like you have a plan. But then, as soon as like conversation just gets started, you're like, "Oh, we're gonna go on this little rabbit track over here and and get distracted." But that's where good, honest conversation just is stemmed from.
0: It reminds you know? me of a good rabbit hunt, like you said, where you start. Oh, I'm gonna head over. We're gonna head northeast, and by the end of it, you've headed southwest, and you're like, "How was that?" And, oh, it's because you chase rabbits all over the country. Yeah. Oh yeah. So, yeah, um, yeah great I, I th- podcast. Yeah, I think it was really. Uh, hopefully it was it was uh, got the wheels turning, got people really thinking about um, introducing people to the outdoors, new ways to look at the outdoors, ways to get people hooked on the outdoors, as far as deer camp and all that fun stuff. I, 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 I there's not enough to be said about a good deer camp Mm-mm. and and getting people in those um, situations to really get them hooked. And I, I'm again
1: excited about these films to be able to get out there and that be shared in addition, you know, that that's going to be awesome for, for people to see that and experience it and just encourage more people to get out there. So it's, it's coming. It's soon.
0: Here's my challenge for the listeners this week. I haven't done one of these in a while. Think of veteran. We're sticking on the deep, the deep, meaningful, uh, Mm -hmm. trend this week. So think of veteran. Um, this is something, obviously, I I'm very, I've got a lot of heartstrings out there for the veterans for obvious reasons, but then also I have a, a couple of close ones to me. So very important that we understand what the veterans and the active serving military are providing for us right now. So thank you to all you guys that are veterans, have served, and are serving. And for you guys who aren't, make sure you find those guys and thank them. Buy them an ice cream cone send them send them out for a nice dinner with their wife That'd be nice. so anyway you guys got any th- final thoughts
2: thanks for having me guys this thank you zach fun.
0: i know we just kind
1: of like hey you're here yeah you you want to sit down and do a podcast but sure. you, you nailed it so i think i think uh people are gonna love it and uh, we're looking forward to working with you more and um, getting on your place and showing people what the heck it's all about and the trans- mm-hmm. transition that you guys are, are doing on It's going to be awesome.
2: Yeah, look forward to working with you guys.
0: Awesome. Well, we will catch you guys next time. See ya.
1: Thanks for listening to another episode of Land and Legacy's Hunting and Habitat Management Podcast. If you like what you hear, check us out at landandlegacy.tv. You can submit a viewer question right there, and we're answering the podcast. Or find us on Facebook and Instagram.
0: Feels pretty good knowing that from the beginning of time, God has called us to be a caretaker, gamekeeper, a manager of the land. So with that being said, don't you think we should do it all for the love of the land and the glory to God?